You just came back from Australia. Yeah, still struggling with time zone. Mm. With time zone. Did you so, see kangaroos? Yeah, yeah. Saw some joys. Saw some kangaroos. All that good stuff. Um, saw some of the rather large crocodiles. <laughs> <laughs> so it's crazy when you're in a country and like, oh, we got beautiful beaches, but um, watch out for the crocodiles and don't don't go in the water because the jellyfish will kill you. And, yeah, you know, it's it's like, like, that's like the land of like deadly oh, animals, my goodness, right? Like my goodness, snakes, and they, and they take some pride in it, right? Yeah. Like they're like, yeah, I've never been. <laughs> we were talking to one kid. He was like, yes, we got like eighteen of the twentieth deadly snakes. And I don't know why we don't have the other two. <laughs> what is it, man? All right, man. All right. Grace and peace. You're listening to United We Pray. Taking racial struggles to the throne of grace, United We Pray is a ministry devoted to praying about racial strife, especially between Christians. I'm the host, Isaac Adams. You're listening listening to season four of the show, and I have a guest here with us, pastor of Anacostia River Church, founder of The Front Porch, which is is devoted to conversations about biblical faithfulness in African-American churches and beyond, NC State alumnus, boo, vegetable enthusiast, <laughs> none other than Pastor Thabiti Anyabwile. Pastor Isaac, how you doing, brother? That's good, T. It's good to see it's you, like man. old times. Remember when we used to host uh, Pastor and People together? Yeah, but we were just doing it on a phone. You got like equipment now. You, you don't know, have to you call know, me you out. You like... blew up now. This is feeling <laughs> oh, real professional. Oh, you see, yeah. I got my radio voice on and everything. Uh, man, I'm not ever sure you turned it <laughs> off, brother. Um, man, it's amazing to have you on the show, uh, not just because this is UNC and NC State on a show about unity. Uh, I, I would love our listeners to know I have made the godly mature decision not to wear any Carolina gear. You wore NC State red. Uh, I'm wearing a red shirt, but T sitting here with <laughs> the, the most NC shirt, State shirt branded. I mean, bro, you just... So look, I'm still jet lagging from my time in oh. Australia. So no, I, I went into the closet this morning. And was I was literally standing there in a daze for a moment, and I thought, "What is on the calendar?" And and it just came to me like an epiphany. Wear your NC State shirt. You meet with Isaac. (laughs) Season five, I'm gonna wear something different. So, man, it's not just good to have you for that reason, uh, but because I've been pleading with you to be on the show, and finally. The squeaky wheel got some grease. <laughs> when you said yes, I said, won't he do it? I felt like dude asking the girl to the prom for the oh. third time, and she said yes. Oh, you're just scraping the bottom of the barrel. Oh, bro. man, I believe in that parable of the persistent widow, Luke 18. <laughs> uh, but which is, it is kind of ironic, T, because this podcast is kind of your fault. Okay. I mean, you're the one who introduced me to Grimke. Okay. Grimke inspired the show. Okay. Uh, this is all your idea then. Well, interesting you're using the word fault. <laughs> <laughs> you're, wel- you're welcome. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm thankful for Grimke. Amen, me too. Um, I'm thankful for his ministry and all that it's encouraged uh, in me and prayer about this show. Uh, and speaking of prayer, I just want to open the show before we get into questions. I was reading this in James today. Uh, I was I was thinking through stuff just in my own life, and I just thought uh, this is a good text to kind of govern 
even the conversation. You know, James is, I've been teaching James in my own church Bible study. Uh, James is just a tough text, sweet text, but tough. Uh, but on the tongue, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with, stricter, with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able, to also, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire and a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Let me pray for us. We'll hop in. Father, we have a simple request. That we would have a conversation that sounds more of heaven than it does hell. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So T, earlier I joked uh, about you declining to be on the show, but in all seriousness, that did happen. Uh, and you, when I was asking you originally, I don't, I don't remember when exactly it was, but you mentioned a season of unbelief you were working through. Uh, so brother, tell us, tell us why you declined. Yeah, I thought it would have been hypocritical of me to be on the show um, that was talking about praying for reconciliation. And... Um, until you asked, I don't know that I had thought much about praying about it. Um, and part of the reason was is because it seemed to me that the conversations on this topic where they were happening uh, were moving backwards rather than forward. And it seemed to me um, that that progress, especially where with persons where I think it needs to happen most, um, was elusive at best. Um, and just in my own heart, I was struggling with any hope to see progress, any any faith, really. So there's a sense in which um, I was walking in a kind of faithlessness on this on this topic, which was which is a new experience for me. Um, it, I've been a Christian over 20 years now, and I don't think I've felt this way, um, had ever felt this way about this topic, about reconciliation and the progress of the gospel in in mending. Um, relationships across ethnic lines for the first 20, 22 years mm-hmm. of my Christian life. Um, and so these last, these last six years have been a, a particularly trying few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the So effects, we're recording this a week after uh, the, I hate to call it an anniversary of the, of Michael Brown's shooting. Mm-hmm. Right. Five yeah. year anniversary. Yeah. So five years since Mike Brown, yeah. another year or so since Trayvon Martin. Uh, we're recording this just a couple of weeks after uh, mass shooting in El Paso um, and uh, another in Ohio. Um, so it's it's been five years, as you know, of, of some rather flagrant, um, racially motivated, uh, hatred motivated uh, kinds of incidents. And not all the ones that we listed would fall in that category, but uh, we, we've certainly had our share of them. And... Um, and to see the response from uh, some Christians, which struck me as lacking empathy and compassion and 
reflexively defensive um, and defensive at times of the wrong things, I think, um, or at least at the wrong time. Um, yeah, that, that, the effect of that in my own heart uh, was a, a creeping, growing hopelessness um, and despairing attitude about those things. And so when you asked to, to join the show, I thought, I'm really glad you're doing the show. I think it's something that's important to do um, and would only want to encourage you in those things, but didn't feel like uh, in good conscience with integrity, I could be on the show to, to talk about those things. And here I am, your friend who's always trying to encourage you, just asking again. <laughs> uh, but I think I, I think I asked again um, because apparently something within, even within you, changed in regards to uh, even either reflecting you were doing yourself uh, about yourself or in terms of your hopes. I don't know if that's changed. We'll talk about that. Ask about that in a second. But uh, what I'm what I'm thinking of and have in my mind is this is the apology you recently issued uh, over on your blog at the Gospel Coalition. And we can link to that in the show notes. Um, why? 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 Why that apology? Um, primarily to have a clean conscience before God and men. Um, Paul writes so often in his letters about trying to maintain a clean conscience in that way. And uh, I think for the last year or more, um, the Lord in his kindness was making me increasingly aware. Uh, it wasn't that I was unaware, but increasingly aware of these things in my own heart um, and the ways in which they had shaped uh, my own words and my own participation or lack of participation in various things. And, um, you know, confession brings freedom. And, and, and rather than continue to walk around um, bound by a, a failure to confess things that, um, again, were evident to me, if, if not everyone else, um, it, it seemed to me right and better mm -hmm. uh, for my own integrity's sake, for my own witness' sake, for a uh, clean conscience, and 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 perhaps in some tertiary sense, this is not wasn't of main importance to me, um, but perhaps to kind of um, reset the tone, reset some conversation, mm -hmm. free some other people um, to to do what they felt they needed to do in their own hearts in these in these conversations. I thought um, it important to it important to offer the apology um, because I also thought um, the the in some cases the wrongs were actual mm -hmm. and not just imagined by the by the recipient. Um, and you know I, I I've never asked for a public life. I've never sought a kind of public life, but to some extent um, the Lord's given me one beyond my own local church and beyond my own family. And I don't think as as public figures or, or public leaders in particular, I don't think we get to um, sort of broadcast our virtues and minimize our vices. Um, I, at least I don't think that's a particularly Christian way um, to engage in ministry. And um, so for my own part, I thought it was it was good, right, and necessary to do that. Um, just... Just because you mentioned the imagined faults you were talking, so you were saying some are actual, some are imagined, and and I imagine and have experienced that it's so easy to just be stuck on the imagined and be defensive. So for anyone struggling with that, how did how did you shift your gaze uh, 
from the imagined to the actual, because the scripture does seem to, to suggest we should be concerned with our own sin, certainly with the sins of others, and certainly with our own. I mean, well, I think the the way the sort of um, imagined slights and offenses um, were working in my own heart and in my own view is they would normally manifest themselves as um, kind of a faux outrage that something actually true had been said. Um, and, and Or they would manifest themselves as, you know, really misrepresentations of things that I'd said, right? And so for a season, I don't think I confess my own stuff because um, I'm looking at the ways in which people are twisting things, misrepresenting things. I'm looking at the ways in which some people are, you know, going into, you know, full outrage about this or that. And I'm thinking, if I offer this apology, it's going to be used, it's going to be twisted, it's going to be um, weaponized in some way. And at the end of the day, I think um, the the Lord just pressed upon me that 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 really was another sort of rationalization Mm -hmm. for not doing what was right. Mm -hmm. That even if those things happened, um, then... That, that's on the persons who do that, right. right? That's not really on me. That I was I was being called to get the log out of my eye, mm-hmm. um, and and not let that now my imagined spec, my imaginations about what people would do with it, not let that spec keep me from getting the log out of my own eye. And so, at a certain level, it's just like okay, uh, I can as much as it depends upon me, live at peace with all men, mm-hmm. and uh, I can only attend to what's in my heart and deal with that and people on on multiple sides of the issue so not just the imagined opponent in a conversation about reconciliation but but persons who maybe view the things the way i view it you know too might feel like ah you shouldn't have done that that hurt our cause or you know some such thing you seated ground to the other side yeah, Yeah. yeah and and whenever we're thinking in these conversations about i don't want to cede any ground that really is a telltale sign that we're not in the conversation uh honestly mm-hmm. that we're not in the conversation for give and take mm-hmm. um but for we're, coming together that's for, exactly for, right yeah that's for exactly healing right. yeah. We, yeah so if we if that metaphor is in our head um uh, then we're being territorial in the wrong way we're not really looking at reconciliation we're looking at winning mm-hmm. um and we're looking that, at prote- protection for yeah. that's exactly right yeah. um yeah. yeah and so what and we we make very little progress if that's how we're thinking about things mm-hmm. well man uh just as you mentioned freedom i've been this psalm has, has come back into my mind and life a couple times i just want to read five verses of it uh psalm 32 blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And T, I'm just encouraged by the faith you've shown in that passage and the things you've said lately. I I remember when I was a young cub, 
uh, and I was first working with you, getting to know you however many years ago, you've said two things that have always stuck, a number of things that have always stuck with me, uh, not just about UNC. Um, but one of them, they're so basic, and more and more I just see the Christian life is about the basics. You, you, I remember one time we were recording a podcast, you said, one, Christ is coming again. That's it. I mean, just such an orthodox, basic statement. And yeah, it just sat, you know, when those statements sometimes just hit you a different way. Like, yeah, okay, he's coming again. And two, you said, we were talking about some scuffle. I don't know what it was. But you just said, you know what, man, at the end of the day, the truth will stand. And I think those two statements, even in conjunction, Christ coming and the truth standing, are good things to remind ourselves of in this conversation. Um, I was going to ask about why apologizing and admitting fault is so important for unity and why pride is so deathly to unity. I think you've spoken to that already. Um, uh, but one thing I want to speak to is because on it's so easy, I think, uh, for some of us in this conversation to just have the conversation, right? To to just be on the podcast, to just be tweeting. So we're sitting here in your office, in your community. Uh, you're, you have this church in the inner city. And in this season, I'm even thinking more about how, yes, talking is a good thing. So, um, it's, it, 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 you know, King talked, Frederick Douglass talked. They, it's a, it is a way of advocating, of opening our mouths, uh, as Proverbs uh, 31 would say. And yet, uh, Grimke would also say that racism, uh, racial injustice, these things can't just be talked down. They must be lived down. Mm, 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 so my question is, uh, as you have a church here in D.C., how have you tried to resu- respond to the results of racism, whether past or present? So you see whether it be brokenness in your community. I don't want to speak about it as if it's only brokenness. And yet I, th- I think that was some motivation for you. How have you tried to lead your church to respond? How have you how, how have you tried to live it down? Yeah, that's a good question, and I, and I like the the way you preface the question um, with a King, a Douglas, a Grimke, and so on, because one of the the significant differences between those men in their generation and so many in our generation is precisely what you're pointing to. Uh, those men had uh, their, their speaking was in service to an actual concrete agenda whether that's Frederick Douglass as an abolitionist calling for the, the abolition of slavery, whether that's um, Grimke in the founding of the NAACP, for example, and uh, the advancement then of civil rights, and whether that's Dr. King standing on the shoulders of such men um, advocating for civil rights, voting rights, integration, and so on. So they had a sense of, of sort of concrete destination. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and oftentimes those things had pretty powerful um, symbolic, emotive, and rhetorical force. So when you say freedom, everybody knows what freedom is and, and knows the rightness of it inherently. Um, I don't think our generation has quite that kind of concrete objective. Um, reconciliation sounds vague, sounds elusive, um, ethereal. Um, and, and maybe and, if only interpersonal. That, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we tend to think, I, I think there are people in these conversations or orbiting these conversations who tend to think that because of the successes of the Douglases, the Grimkeys, the Fannie Lou Hamers, the Martin Kings, that the, the work of reconciliation is essentially done in our day. Right? So we don't spend much time investing vision in it. 
Um, in, in our little church, uh, to get to your question, uh, I think we're, first of all, trying to think deeply uh, about the fact that we are the household of God, that we are God's family, that we are a new people uh, made up of, of, in our case, people from about 18 national backgrounds, um, and, yet, and yet one people, and, and they're trying to get a, a firmer sense of the we of that. Um, and, and, and so then to relate to each other, not uh, according to the flesh, primarily, but um, to relate to each other according to this new sort of adoption in Christ and in the family of God. Um, that just keep that kind of thinking just needs constant kneading in, into our into our hearts and souls. Um, but then we're trying to then look out on our community and say, hey, we're not just a preaching point. We're not trying to be a commuter church. We've got a parish here. We've got a community that we're actually trying to reach with the gospel, and we're trying to serve in mercy. Um, and and there, there we want to recognize both brokenness there, uh, but also brokenness here inside of the family of God. So you're coming from those various backgrounds. It's not like uh, you're coming without any connection to the racial and ethnic discord of the world and, and so on. And so trying to attend to that inside and outside the church in practical works of um, ministry and uh, mission in conversations. We just had a brother in the church uh, lead us to um, three weeks of, of Bible study on uh, being a trauma-informed congregation. Uh, so whether that's the trauma of gun violence in our community, the trauma of domestic violence or sexual abuse, uh, or the trauma of, of racism and, and, and racial uh, injustices. Um, so we're trying to have conversations that um, equip us with categories and tools for, for dealing, with, dealing with the things that we face inside and outside the church. Uh, last year, uh, we had a group of folks, a, a couple of white brothers and sisters, a couple of African-American brothers and sisters, team up to use Tasha Morrison's work, uh, Be the Bridge, um, in leading a, a whiteness one-on-one uh, small group study that then fed into uh, a Be the Bridge small group study. Um, so people will hear, sometimes hear me say, we want to be the, the congregation that can have the conversation. Mm, meaning, that's good. Yeah, that's good. I yeah, like that. Meaning we want the competencies of, of listening and speaking well um, and relationship building that we apply to all the conversations that uh, are difficult for us, whether, whether that's, again, racial reconciliation or you know, any, any, any number of other things. Um, so largely that's how we've been sort of um, approaching things, is thinking trying to think more deeply about what it means for us to be the family of God, uh, and then from that vantage point, trying to build the competencies, have the conversations, work toward um, ministry aims that, that apply it in that way. Amen. Um, just a couple things on that. Uh, one, I love, I love that line about the congregation that can have the conversation, because I think, I often think of the picture of Babel in this conversation, mm. and how if... Mm. You are, if you can't converse, you can't build mm, in any That's direction. Good. That's good. Two, I think um, 
I love the emphasis on the congregation uh, first, uh, not because the congregation is necessarily better or anything like that, but because uh, the reason I say in the, even the intro to this podcast, we focus on strife, racial strife, especially between Christians, uh, because we are to do good to all people, especially the household of God. How are we going to help? How are we going to help anyone if our house is just in disorder? And then three, as I've thought about this, T, I wondered if you agree, if you'd agree with this. The longer I read, write, think about this conversation about race in America in our day, I think one of the main nubs of division is the thought is is whether or not you think, as you were saying, the reconciling work of the Grimkeys, Kings, Douglases is largely done or still needs to be done. To me, that seems to be like if you if you think it's largely done, you will you will probably lean this way in this conversation. Um, if you think it still needs to be done, that is where a main rub is going to happen. Do you thoughts on that? I think that's absolutely spot on, Isaac. I, I think the the folks that um, I reached impasses with most quickly. Um, and the folks that uh, it seems like the conversations become most contentious with yeah. are, are people who seem to me to think that not only is the work done, but seem to me to take a pretty ahistorical mm-hmm. approach to the conversation and a kind of anti-social science mm-hmm. approach to the conversation. Can flesh out what you mean by that for me? Well, I think there are folks who are engaging these conversations um, really anecdotally at mm-hmm. best. And, and sometimes out of their own ideological um, positions that are not informed at all with the best data, the best research. Uh, so, so for example, if you say this work is largely done, what, what do you do uh, with, with all the data, all the information on disparities in things like sentencing, incarceration, stops, so on and so forth. Education. Education, right. just down the line, right? right? So if you're, not, if you're not actually familiar with the research and you're approaching that purely ideologically, then you're going to be forced, ironically enough, into some set of assumptions about the racial other that actually look a whole lot like the assumptions of the 1950s and the 1900s and the 1850s. Assumptions about innate uh, criminality, assumptions about um, innate inferiority. Um, and if you're doing that ahistorically, then you don't have any data about why the starting points are different or why some of those things exist the way they exist. Um, and so it's a kind of uh, sometimes willful ignorance. Um, it's a kind of maybe even in other cases benign ignorance that actually damages the conversation greatly. Um, and then you have folks who will sometimes... And even to make that sharper, people in that conversation, mm-hmm. as you were attesting mm-hmm. to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, then, and then you have folks sometimes... I, I, I worry about the rhetorical strategies that are sometimes employed because, you know, sometimes when I try and help people see that they're missing information, the retort is, um, you think everybody's a racist who doesn't agree with your view of things. It's like, I didn't call you a racist. Right? I, I didn't say anything about you being a racist. I said, there's stuff here you don't know. And when people are defending themselves uh, against information um, and, and, and wanting to participate in the conversation, those are conversations that you just kind of have to 
inject a lot of grace into and maybe even walk away from as an act of grace because those are not the kind of conversations or conversation partners that actually further understand it. And what, what were the passages you were quoting in Nehemiah? And as we, of course, reference, uh, I, I think this even should, this self-consciousness uh, about talking about Babel or Nehemiah, of course, like, there's larger context to these passages, and yet they're images of this conversation. Um, when you were you were quoting from Nehemiah, like I must just go about my work. I can't remember. I can't remember what it was. But it was yeah, why, why should I come down off the wall? And, yes, yes. <laughs> and that's what you what, get. Oh, there were folks who were offended by that. And, right. And it's just like that's oh, not about this. And and to be sure, you know, the one side that is saying, you know, there's still need work that needs to be done is not saying there hasn't been any progress. Exactly. exactly. Is not. Exactly. Because that would be to rob God of glory. Amen. I mean, I, I thank God regularly. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't born Amen. 100 years ago. Listen, most of us who are alive today probably couldn't have <laughs> handled being alive 100 years ago. Right? And, and, and that's, that's one of the curious benefits of freedom. Yeah, because you, you've developed good. an intolerance or uh, a, a weakness even in the face of certain kinds of sufferings because you haven't endured them. No, I mean, the fact that we have this conversation usually in mixed audiences and at high pitch and great intensity intensity is an indication of progress because brother just 60 years ago had we raised our voices in such spaces and gotten angry in such spaces there was a more than good likelihood that we would have suffered serious violence repercussion right so people don't even realize that in the lifetime of some of your listeners some of the things that that we say publicly nowadays could have gotten us lynched could have gotten our houses burned could have gotten our families threatened and killed um we don't live quite with that kind of vulnerability, despite, you know, there, there is still, you know, people going into churches and shooting folks and things of that sort. We, it's not quite the same thing. Um, it has been significant progress, but, but progress is not sort of uh, ultimate success. Exactly. Progress is an indication of movement, not, not an indication that we're there. Uh, and again, as you said earlier, that's a significant difference in some people's perspectives on these conversations. And I, and I, what's been helpful for me is reminding that there is either the grave or Jesus coming back. Like there is, there's always work to be faithfully done, people to be faithfully loved, uh, so long as we have breath. Okay, before we pray, one, la- uh, two things to talk about. Uh, I would like to talk about hopefulness because you've talked about this and why it's an indispensable virtue if we're going to make any progress in the race conversations and race relations and racial justice. So you wrote an article uh, called The Case for Hope. Why? Well, this is this is an interesting. Your question is a good question because it. it I went to UNC. Out, it is a good question. Well, it's not because you went to UNC <laughs> <laughs> or a broken clock, right? Uh, no, it's a good. It's a good question for me because it it it's a good illustration of how you have these conversations on multiple fronts, and um, you can be clear about something while you're facing one front and it and that same thing you're clear about is being eroded and chipped away on another front so when i wrote, wrote the case for hope it was in response to tanya hissey coates uh excellent article uh case for reparations um and uh, it was a wonderful article and and it shifted the ground 
uh, on reparations conversations to housing and things of that sort, which I thought was was interesting. But he wrote with his characteristic hopelessness, yeah. uh, which he is, I think, kind of intellectually committed to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he certainly makes that case in between the world. Of that's that's yeah. right. Yeah. And I don't think that's a position that Christians can hold. That an intellectual commitment to hopelessness is contrary to uh, the the character and uh, the the love of God. It's contrary to the hope that springs from the resurrection. It's contrary to the promise of an eternal kingdom. I mean, it's just it's just anathema to the whole faith. I mean, our our chief virtues are faith, hope, and love. Right. So um, I was sort of contending with Coates on call it my left hand. On my right hand were certain certain, um, Christians, conservative Christians, who were, um, I don't want to put it on them, I'm about to use language that's too passive, the problems in my own heart, whom I was allowing to chip away at hope on the other hand. You know, their uh, sort of attacks on the other hand um, were were eroding a sense of hope for me. and as I said, so for the first time in my Christian life, I looked up at a certain point and realized I was struggling with a certain kind of hopelessness. Um, All but, of a sudden, you're in this desert called hopelessness. No, that's yeah. right. And and that's that's an impoverishing experience. Um, because I, as, as I said in the article in reply to Coates, for African Americans, for much of our sojourn, the only currency we've had has been hope. That, that's that's been one of our main strategies and and resources for getting up in the morning and facing the whip again or dealing with Jim Crow again or you know you name it it's a things are not going to always be this way that there really is a God and he is good and he is just and the the moral arc of the universe is long but it bends towards justice that's an expression of hope right um, and and so both as an African American, but now doubly and especially as a Christian, um, I realize okay, my fight right now is isn't with coats on the left or with certain Christians on the right. My fight is in my own heart for a trust in God, a belief in God, and the certainty of the goodness of God, despite what I'm seeing on the left or the right. Mm. And isn't that the fight every day Amen. of the Christian life exactly I mean, right. in this world? Last question. Any counsel you have for my generation, coming generations, any generation in this conversation? I mean, you've been, you've been seeding it throughout all your answers, but if you're like, beloved— so give me Pastor T, right? So I've been I've been teaching and I've been teaching in James, and it's just amazing how he's just like my beloved brothers, right? my brothers and sisters. James is a pastor. Give me the verbal hug, beloved. If if I could encourage you, and yeah, yeah, that's just good. Um, I I think I would say two or three things uh, to, to your generation. Um, one is, I think, in humility, you have to recognize that um, what you're experiencing and going through in your generation is not unique. Whether it's the suffering on the one hand, which you seem able to quickly connect to previous generations, uh, or whether it's the, the sort of consciousness raising that's been going on, you call it wokeness or whatever, it, it's not unique. And and the reason I want to um, sort of stress that first is I am concerned for people 
who seem to me to be young, awakened for the first time to many of these issues, um, and in a kind of pride and a kind of zeal, uh, seem to act and speak as if they're the first generation of African Americans to be woke or to be conscious or to be Afrocentric or any of these other things that come along every 20 or 30 years in every generation. Um, and in a kind of idealism, actually run toward worldly solutions to these things rather than running to the gospel and to the church. Um, so I'm concerned for drifting, I think I see, in young Christians who are enamored with, um, you know, pick your, pick your representative, but enamored with uh, usually secular writers and thinkers who do not have a kind of Christian um, foundation they're, they're building from and working from. And this is the interesting thing. You talk about Douglas, you talk about Grimke, you talk about King. All those are Christians. All those are churchmen. All of them are working out of the resources of the Bible and the gospel. Um, and so this generation needs to recognize, your generation needs to recognize, it's the first generation talking about civil rights things and talking about liberation things outside of the church. And, and you need to be careful of that. You need to be wary of that. You need to bring that back into the church and the Christian faith. Second thing I'd want to say, Isaac, is, is related to that then, is, is run deeper into the church, not out from it. So if you're frustrated with your church's participation in it, then one of two things, in a healthy way, try and be a part of having a conversation among your church family. Whatever way your pastors frame that and shepherd that and allow room for that, you know, have that conversation inside your church. It will be strengthening your church. It will keep you tethered to the gospel. Uh, it will be part of how we all grow up into Christ in that way. Uh, and if you find yourself in a space in a church where you cannot have those conversations in a healthy way or those conversations are not welcomed, then I think you've got to do some hard prayer about whether or not being unable to have that conversation is a pastoral response to you, mm. meaning you are doing something sinful or unhelpful, or whether or not it's a sinful response in the leadership and in the church. Which we often assume it is. Which we often or assume it is. That's right. It's easy to assume that. Yeah. But, you know, it's, yeah, so we don't get the log out of our own eyes. Right. So we just think, oh, they didn't want to have that conversation. They're closed off. Da, da, da. We don't stop and think, was I humble? Was I gracious? Did I communicate what's really happening in my heart? James, right? Mm -hmm. we, we quarrel and fight because we want something, but we don't, right. we don't get it. Well, was I, what was I really wanting? Often it's not even the conversation I was wanting. I was really wanting some affirmation. I was really wanting to be noticed. I was really wanting to feel safe. You know, any number of things which we never actually put on the table, right? Um, so you got to do that work between discerning, was I the problem or is the church the problem? Now, if the church is the problem, then I want to say find a, find a good, safe, healthy church, right, where you can grow in these ways and be nourished in these ways and encouraged. Um, so those would, if I were only sort of giving two things, those would be the two things. Um, you know, be careful of the secularizing tendency, realizing that you're in a generation that for the first time is having civil rights kinds of conversations, uh, liberation kinds of conversations outside the leadership of the church, mm. right? If you're a Christian, that should concern you uh, and, and you should be discerning. 
And so secondly, then run to the church, not away from the church, uh, and try and be a healthy uh, contributor to the life of the church on these issues, distinguishing between um, you know, weaknesses in the church and weaknesses in your own heart, and then responding appropriately to each. Amen. Well, one, uh, one appropriate response, um, whether it be from Psalm 32, and I love the, the phrase you used. If I was looking for a new podcast name, I might use it. I'm not, but, uh, <laughs> but this would be a good candidate, hard prayer. So I think you got to do some hard prayer. So I'd like to invite us to do that now. So you can open, grab any theme, any verse we've been talking about, uh, and I'll close Amen. in prayer. So let's pray. Father, we first of all confess um, that we have often been prayerless on this issue of reconciliation and so many other things. And uh, we confess, Lord, we have been prayerless because we have also been hopeless and faithless. And uh, we, we confess, Lord, that um, we have sometimes held lightly to the, the riches and the resources of the gospel and have sometimes thought little of the importance of your people in our lives on this issue. We've sometimes been quickly frustrated and angry and um, condemning uh, rather than um, careful with our own hearts and humble before others uh, and quick to confess. And so, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us our many faults, our many transgressions, and that you would teach us to recognize the groaning that comes in our souls when we uh, fail to confess. Lord, help us to know the sound of groaning and um, know the know the grinding that happens in the heart so that, uh, again, we might come to you and find freedom. And Lord, we do pray that you would free your church uh, from the sin of racism. We, we do pray that you would uh, cause your people, Lord, to abound in boundary-crossing love, that you would cause us to excel uh, in uh, acceptance, that you would give us in deep and profound ways a new identity uh, as your people, as Christians, um, as, as a new spiritual ethnicity, um, that that would be primary in our thinking and all of our actions, um, and, and that that would color and flavor and shape how we engage this conversation uh, in our day. But we also pray that you would make us truth people, yeah. that we would be people who uh, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good, that we would meditate upon not only the truth of your word, but all of your truth, wherever we find it, in, in history, from the social sciences, um, in conversation, uh, again, all, all shaped and governed by your word, but all embraced as good and right and true and lovely and just. And, and so we might um, grow in understanding and knowledge and wisdom and discernment. Uh, as we pursue this this hard thing called reconciliation. And Lord, give us vision for what reconciliation includes mm-hmm. uh, and help us to be able to express it tangibly and compellingly uh, so that your whole body would move toward it 
uh, with great hope. You've given us this ministry of reconciliation, reconciliating men with God and uh, experiencing reconciliation with each other in your body. Uh, Do it more and more for your glory and for the joy of your people, we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, we pray not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory for the sake of your steadfast love. Father, uh, as our brother has just prayed, we do pray that you would get glory in this conversation, in, in the conversation happening right now in this prayer to you. Father, we thank you for the help you've given us even today. That as my brother uh, so often reminds me, Father, that we woke up today not under condemnation, but under grace. And yet still you'd have us ask for more grace. So we ask, Lord, because your grace is sufficient. Though our heart and our flesh may fail, Father, we've even talked about these, those failings, even in this short time. Though our heart and our flesh may fail, you are our portion. God, there is nothing on earth that we desire beside you. And yet so often in this conversation, Lord, that's not really true of us. Because sometimes we desire vengeance or affirmation. And doesn't your word say it, Lord? Didn't, didn't our brother remind us earlier that what causes quarrels and fights and disunity and hatred and mocking and slandering, what causes these things among you? Well, it's because we desire and we don't have. So we covet, steal. Father, we pray that we would do that less, that we'd love our neighbor more, that we, that we will look for the log in our own eye. Father, not in any kind of uh, way where we're obsessive over our sin. We pray that the cross would loom large in our sight, even of ourself. And yet, Lord, we do pray that we would reckon with the truth of things. Uh, Father, we recognize there can be no reconciliation without a reckoning. So, Lord, would you forgive even our hidden faults? Uh, Would you bring whatever reckoning there needs to be day after day so that we might enjoy the reconciliation we've spoken of, the freedom we've spoken of, the hope we've spoken of? Father, we ask for faith. We ask for hope. We ask for love which is patient and kind, not easily angered, a love that doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's not rude, doesn't boast. Rather, this love rejoices with the truth. And as Psalm 32 says, Lord, when we confess our sins, we praise you because we get to rejoice in you. 
And so even though we may walk through our deserts of hopelessness, I thank you so much for my brother sharing so transparently about that. We praise you that that period at the end of our lives in you is one of joy and rejoicing. We pray and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bro, thank you for coming through the show, man. It's good to have you. Thank you, you bro. Thank you for coming this out of town. Hey, man. Good to have you. Well, folks, you can check out. Uh, we'll link to the articles we've talked about here. Uh, you can obviously find the BD on Twitter. He'll be the one in the obnoxious red. Uh, <laughs> that's all we got here. Make sure to check out the new website. So, T, we got new we got new equipment, new recording right. equipment. Right, we got a new website. Yeah, yeah, man. Big ups, man. man trying to, man. Trying to keep up with the front porch. <laughs> y'all, after, after y'all <laughs> kicked me off, Lou. Don't even try yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so y'all check out the new website uh, I'm the host Isaac Adams I'm here with my man T Grace and peace Grace and peace